0: Right now on Amplified, the Engineer's Journal podcast, we're about to meet one of the pillars of Engineers Ireland, Damien Owens. An engineer is first and
1: foremost a problem solver, and to solve a problem, first of all, you've got to understand it. Then you look at, well, how do you solve it with the resource you have and make sure it's safe, sustainable, all those type of factors.
0: Hello there, my name is Dusty Rhodes and you're welcome to the Engineers Ireland podcast where we speak with our community of creative professionals across the country about how engineers are delivering sustainable solutions for society both now and in the future to come. Today, we're chatting with a man with a huge responsibility for the type of engineers who will be joining us in years to come. In Ireland, he's been involved in setting and maintaining academic and professional standards for the engineering profession. In Europe, he is a past president of the European Network for Accreditation of Engineering Education. and Globally, he has served as chair of the International Engineering Alliance. is a man who is literally shaping the future and those engineers who will solve the problems that we've yet to discover. Damien Owens, thank you very much for joining us today. Thank you. So what got you into engineering? A lot of the engineers I've spoken to are working on big infrastructure uh, projects. You're in a different area of engineering. Tell me about it.
1: A different area. I suppose when I started out in engineering, uh, my background is electronics and I moved into telecommunications Uh, and then looking at a larger system and network design, and then through that internet, uh, and that then brought me into Engineers Ireland about 10 years ago. I was assisting on an IT development project, and then I became registrar of Engineers Ireland, which involves looking at uh, the academic standards for engineering education in all of our universities and institutes of technology. It's a long of winding path, but I think engineering is very interesting, a very interesting career and path for anyone.
0: Certainly. And you're very involved in the education and promoting people, getting on in the business. And we find out how you can do that and how you can uh, make your career uh, bigger, better, faster, harder, stronger, I believe is how the the song goes. But firstly, tell me just about yourself, because you've been like many people in that area where you've got to solve problems. You've got to be creative and stuff like that. And you went through a huge change when you were working with was Telecom Aaron and the whole phone watch thing.
1: Telcom Aaron, I suppose, uh, in in the 80s had come from what was a civil service background and I joined shortly after that. And they've put a lot of resources into developing new products and services. And one project I was involved with was, um, I suppose it's now called PhoneWatch, getting that product which was developed in the US and bringing it across to the Irish market. And it was very interesting from a number of perspectives because we look at US products, they have a different voltage, they have different standards. So we had to convert all of that And, you know, we had some really creative solutions to try and get the product ready for the Irish market. And what was very, I suppose, amusing when when some of our American colleagues came over. They couldn't understand. They'd look at our houses and they'd see these, you know, the bell boxes people have outside. They couldn't understand how we would deface our properties with these ugly boxes, many of which were rusting or had lights on them. And this is a total culture shock that they couldn't cope with that. So I spent a, a wee bit of time in the States then uh, looking at the manufacturing of the product. And I think one of the things that I learned through Telecom was how reliable things must be if you're putting them into the public place. Safety is paramount. Mm-hmm. And I was at the manufacturing plant and they, we had 50 people waiting to start work and install the products. And the batch coming off the production line wasn't good. I always remember being on the phone to my, to my boss back in Dublin. And he says, Well, how's it going? I said, Well, there's a few problems with it. It won't be ready in this week. He says, Well, you're the person on the ground. You know, we've 50 people here. You've to make your decision. Do we launch or not? I said, Can't launch. It's not good enough. And I think that's one thing that's stood to me all of the years uh, of my career. And I think many engineers we have the same position that we've got to do things right in the public interest for safety, for quality, reliability. And I think a lot of the challenges that we have faced. For example, if you, if you go back to that era, there was three challenges we would have had at the time. Mm. One was the ozone layer, we had acid rain, and then you had always the nuclear war threat where we wipe out in three, three hours. We've solved the first two, second two, I don't know, but you know, engineers have risen to challenges. If you look at disasters, worldwide disasters, through climate or natural causes, you know, back in the 1920s, 450,000 people a year died from natural disasters, be they flood, be they fire, earthquakes, whatever. In 2020, that was less than 20,000 people. And that's because of better design of products, infrastructure, warning systems. And that is all engineering in action, hmm. but you don't see it. It's, it's below the radar, so to speak. And that is the work of engineers.
0: Some people listening to you now might kind of think, you know, kind of with, with, when you're talking about acid rain and the changes in, in our climate and everything, it's like, oh, my God, how wrong are you? I, have you not read the paper today? And I think I get your point in that we had a certain set of circumstances at the time. We've solved some of those problems now. New problems have, have come up. Do you think that engineering is doing enough to look at the problems that we have with climate change at the moment?
1: I think engineers are rising to the challenge. I think we could always do more. You can always do more. Um, For example, you know, we have a great natural resource in terms of the wind off our coast for generating wind power and energy. The challenge is that today the wind isn't blowing. So we need to build storage however we do that. And there's been some very rapid advances and really breakthrough advances been made in storing that energy. And they will probably come in the market the next 10 years. So that will make a big difference to the intermittency of, of some of the renewables. I think we also have to take care, however, that, you know, to, to take a, a phrase from the, the health sector, do no harm. Mm. So we need to be careful that we don't create tomorrow's work today. If you look at uh, wind farms and solar panels, they they don't last forever. They will be coming into retirement in 15, 20 years' time. There's a, a lot of technology, a lot of recovery and recycling of those materials can be quite difficult. But that's another challenge.
0: Why are they going into retirement so quickly? I'm thinking you've got airplanes that flying today that have been going for like 50 years. Uh, These, you know, kind of wind turbines are a relatively new thing. I know they're in difficult to access locations, especially if you have a wind farm out at sea. Why are we not making more sustainable wind turbines?
1: Well, they are mechanical. They will wear out. So they're turning there in the wind and they, I mean, they're exposed to, in in, in harsh environments, as you've said. Uh, And equally, you know, if you look at the the turbines that were produced in the the early 90s, their capacity is tiny compared to the ones today. So they'll just be retired.
0: Now, I'm sure there's quite a lot of people listening to our podcast today who wouldn't remember the time that you and I might remember. How different do you think it is getting into engineering today compared to when you would have started out? pre-computers, pre-internet, all that kind of stuff?
1: I think it's much more accessible today, certainly. For example, back when I would be studying engineering, just getting components, you had to get catalogs and get stuff by post, usually from England. Now you just look in the web, you've got your um, online catalog, the stuff arrives the next day uh, and and a lot cheaper. So I think it's way more accessible for a hobbyist. I was at a a maker fair in uh, Marion Square last week where they had demonstrations from many universities and companies uh, and uh, people, you know, reusing and recycling components. The audience there was from eight to 80. And uh, I think it, it, it really makes it accessible. And I think the, the whole cost uh, and visibility of engineering is much greater than it would have been, say, 20, 30 years ago.
0: Okay, problems may be easier to solve because we have computers and and accessibility to all kinds of things. But do you think the problems today are bigger or smaller?
1: I think it's all relative. Whatever time period you're in, I think the problem is the problem. You've still got to solve it. If, If you look back in time, one of the things that's really been apparent in Ireland is the confidence of younger people compared to 20, 30 years ago. I think as a nation, but also individuals have a lot more confidence in their abilities. The Irish have an excellent reputation for hard work uh, abroad. And I suppose with that, as well as that, I suppose technical intelligence, we have a lot of emotional intelligence and how to deal with people and how to communicate and just take others as as we find them. I think we, as a nation, we're, we're quite unique in that regard.
0: Do you think that Irish people are travelling further? Because, you know, back in the 80s when I, when I was growing up and I would have been a young man getting into my industry, you went to England and occasionally somebody would go to America or Canada or whatever. And now people are like, you know, it's was almost like they're commuting to Singapore. In fact, I know somebody whose kid commutes to Singapore to work, like, you know, and they come back once a month or whatever. Do you think that all of these people going out into the world like that and getting experience and then coming back to Ireland is strengthening the overall engineering sector.
1: It is, and it's, it's, it also works in reverse. We have you know, engineers coming from overseas to Ireland. They come here to get experience and bring it back to their country. So engineering is very much a global community. You can work in global projects without ever leaving Ireland, and you've got to be aware of whatever standards you, you are working with in the far country be it voltage or construction or or whatever, because of that, you know, I think engineering is is probably a unique profession in that we have agreed a set of education standards and competence standards that are recognised globally to allow engineers to move around and work in different countries, but also provides a level of assurance that, you know, a qualification from one country you know, equivalent to one in, a, in another country. So it gives that level of confidence to employers. And that all comes ultimately through our education system. We work with universities and institute technology to ensure that the engineering syllabus reflects what is required globally. For example, you looked at the future challenges and how engineers can address it. We've changed our education, our standards, our criteria to incorporate things like sustainability, teamwork, and inclusion, diversity. So they're all part and parcel of what engineers are learning in the college and they will bring that into the workplace. So we're teeing up the resources for these challenges.
0: Engineering, as you say, it's very much a global business, uh, but it's very much that Engineers Ireland is helping members to work globally and to work abroad. Can you give me a specific example of something that somebody who's just joined the organization in the last 2-3 years uh, would be able to do in order to further their career maybe abroad or maybe to get more international business here?
1: Online courses obviously in the current environment uh, for engineers for their continued development we, we we require our engineers to stay current and do continued professional development for engineers coming into the country we've put in place business and technical English courses so that they can become more effective in their careers. At a more technical level, we run a series of courses for uh, safety systems and, you know, uh, regulations, say, for uh, road construction and things like that. So we put a lot of emphasis in keeping the engineers up to date and, and current.
0: And you're also out there in the world. And you're helping to develop those standards across the globe that uh, members here in Ireland are able to uh, avail of. And as I said in the introduction, you're very involved and have been very involved in many bodies globally and in Europe and, uh, of course, here in Ireland as well. From your roles on the various engineering bodies abroad, what is the change that you're trying to make?
1: First of all, is to make sure that engineers are educated to become as effective as possible in, in their career, but also to increase mobility certainly in the western economies there is a shortage of engineers and in in other parts of the globe there are a surplus of engineers mm. so overall <laughs> there are enough of engineers but some may be in the wrong places yeah. in Germany there is a shortage of about 70,000 engineers and they have put an economic value in that in terms of GDP so society needs a lot of engineers all the infrastructure we've built is not just the building of it that we have to look out for it's maintaining it and that requires Engineers. So the, there, there is a shortage of engineers in, in Western economies. So what we're trying to do is, I suppose, increase the accessibility to the profession and also raise standards uh, across the globe so that developing countries have capacity to educate, you know, their own engineers to provide the infrastructure and increase the economic and welfare levels of their
0: societies. STEM education is uh, very important as well to you, I know. Uh, what, what initiatives would you like to see addressed when it comes to STEM education?
1: We need to educate parents in particular. Everybody has the impression you need to do lots of maths, and maths is difficult. I and mean, We need to get away from that, that sort of thought process. Engineering, yes, it is a difficult subject to study, but it's probably one of the best subjects to study because it opens up a whole variety of careers, not just in engineering. And I think from the STEM perspective, We need to get our younger pupils, schoolgoers, to engage and understand the difference you can make through engineering. And that, you know, when it comes to their choices on the the CAO, that engineering is is a very, very broad school. And what we're seeing at the moment, some of the developments we're seeing, is the emergence of professional apprenticeships. Now, when people think of apprenticeships, they think of, you know, electricians, plumbers, plasters. What we mean by engineering apprentices or or professional apprenticeships is that there's a huge component where some of us are in the workplace, but the remainder is in uh, an institute of technology or university. So it's blended learning. You earn while you learn. That is a very attractive option for many coming out of school. It's very different than just a pure academic uh, environment. And, you know, the engineering profession is a very broad church. We need uh, expertise at all levels. So, yes, you may have a, a designer engineer designing something. You, you'll then need other engineers to build. Uh, so it's a whole ecosystem. And one, if one component is missing or out of balance, the system doesn't work effectively. One of the aspects of the housing crisis is a shortage of labor. Now, ingenuity being what it is, we've looked at other solutions to address those issues. For example, build the houses in a factory, a modular build and then just assemble them on site. So, the, so the, the, that's the engineering coming in to solve a particular problem. But we need uh, labour right across the engineering system. And again, the public perception of engineering is that it's on a building site. It's, you're up to your eyes and muck. And nothing could be further from the truth. All the designs and all that are done in an office on very advanced uh, design systems. And construction is only one small part of engineering. That's the other thing we have to get across, and again, it's a public reception. So maybe it's the mums and dads we have to influence, so they can influence their children at school. So there's a whole of varieties and branches of engineering that didn't exist years ago. You have biomedical engineering, which looks at design of say stents or hip replacements. They're all designed by engineers. You have process engineering, which looks at, for example, in the brewery you making your Guinness or making tablets, or making food production. So, you know, it's, it's there's a very broad set of engineering disciplines, power engineering for electricity or your wind farms. So people need to broaden their perception of what engineering
0: is. And what about the blended learning that you were saying, where you do kind of, you know, a lot of your learning in university, but then you're also placed with, with a firm. Is there a lot of that that goes on here, or is it something that happens more abroad?
1: It's starting here. It happen- it's, it's probably at different levels in different countries. The country that's probably been doing it for the longest would be Germany, where they had nearly two parallel streams, an academic stream in universities, and then they had a different set of institutions that were doing more of the apprenticeship workplace. But we're starting to see more and more of that blended approach across Europe in particular, uh, because I think you get a more rounded engineer coming out because you'll have a practice Uh, And they will know when they're studying the theory, they will know how to apply it. So we get a a much more rounded engineer coming out of the process.
0: We're talking a lot about education, both in university, getting into the business in the first place, maybe serving an apprenticeship. Do you think there's a stigma attached to that word apprentice, especially in engineering? Because you expect an electrical apprentice, you expect a plumber's apprentice or whatever, like, you know, but an engineering apprentice, to make it sound a bit
1: there is a mindset around apprentice you know coming in in overalls and uh, and it takes time to to change those perceptions and if you think about it if you look at the legal profession that's what you had apprentice lawyers they learned on the job that's how it was done and i think there's a lot more government support for these programs now because we recognize we need to develop that talent pool to keep the economy going the way it is
0: do you think government is doing enough though
1: I, I do, to, to be fair, I do. Um, I think we're very fortunate that we still have quite a young population and a very well-educated population. I think the government have pro- the priorities in supporting the education. That's been prioritised very well. I suppose one area perhaps that probably could do with a bit of assistance is funding of third level, leaving aside the funding of students, the student fees, I don't want to get into that debate, but certainly the facilities in, in our universities probably need to be better funded so that the students are exposed to I suppose the best technology that's available out there. If we have to lead the world and develop world-class products we've got to expose our engineering students to the best-in-class materials while they're being educated and they can be expensive and it's very difficult I think for the third level sector you know in real terms, they've suffered a huge reduction in their income over the last 10 years yet they have an increase in students, student numbers. So they're delivering more for less uh, and something has to give with that. And if if you want to stay uh, in world-class technology and engineering environment, we've got to provide those facilities.
0: You've served with Engineers Ireland for for quite a while. Uh, From that vantage point overlooking the industry, what would you say are the biggest opportunities that are facing the engineering landscape right now?
1: I suppose the opportunities for Ireland, geographically, we're in a great location um, for, for clean energy. Most of the area of Ireland is underwater. We have a ship called the Celtic Explorer, which has been mapping our seabed now for a number of years. In fact, we're probably one of the more advanced countries at mapping their sea resources. And I think we have huge potential uh, in offshore wind development. Just as countries export oil, we can export that wind energy. We can become an exporter into a European grid. And there are plans for a super grid to link the various grids of Europe. For example, Germany is probably an hour ahead of us in, in time. So as the wind's blowing here and we're not using the energy, we ship it off there. And the same, if they have excess, they can ship it back. So you get a super grid that moves the power around and evens out the peaks and troughs of wind around Europe. Uh, and that that is actually happening. There's work going on at that super grid at the moment. So we need to, I think, be probably much quicker in making the most of the natural resources we have off our coast and put in offshore wind farms. And that's just one one aspect.
0: It's an aspect that a lot of people are focusing on. Do you think that Ireland has the potential to become the Saudi Arabia of wind farming?
1: (laughs) We we could do. I mean, we, we, we can certainly produce a lot more energy than we need. Yeah. Absolutely, um, and if you look, there's a project going on in Morocco with an English company, it's basically solar. So they're putting in a massive solar farm and an undersea cable up to the UK. It's a very interesting time to be living for, for from energy production perspective.
0: So do you think the potential is then there for Ireland to generate all of our energy from wind, or am I just being extreme?
1: Uh, we probably could do it, to be honest, yes. I think the challenge is that, the offshore environment on the West Coast, which is where you get a lot of the wind, it, it's a challenging environment, you know, from, from a weather perspective, absolutely. But equally, drilling um, a kilometre down under the sea for oil is challenging too. So, you know, we can overcome these these problems. You know, they're, they're, they're challenges that we need to address and I think engineers can do it.
0: Yeah, and as soon as you solve one problem, you move into another. Like we we could put thousands of wind farms across the West Coast and then the Gulf Stream will move further south. No wind. (laughs) (laughs) It's like you can never win, can you? Tell me, uh, from our conversation today, what would you consider to be the biggest takeaway that you hope people listening will learn?
1: If the listener is considering a career in engineering and they're studying, I would say go for it. Uh, You will not be disappointed. Engineering is a career that can take you in very, very many directions. We move roles and and, and work in very different domains throughout the career. So it's not the same thing day in, day out. No two days are the same. Uh If the audience is other engineers listening, I'd say continue to solve problems, stay up to date in your knowledge and, you know, advocate for our profession.
0: And what would you say to somebody who's been working for the same firm for five, seven, ten years, they're getting a bit bored? Sharpen
1: up the skills. You know, you you, you know a lot. Um, and you've probably forgotten more than you know. Sharpen those skills and look out there. There's huge opportunities in engineering. You know, absolutely. It's a, it's a wide open marketplace. There is a shortage of engineers, not and not just in Ireland.
0: I think you've given us some some great pictures there, as you say, a shortage of engineers globally. And that just leads to opportunities all over the place.
1: Yeah. And, you know, you're here to solve problems for, I suppose, the good of society. The work engineers do are usually on big projects. They make an
0: impact. I find that you get stuck in a rut and you just need to hear something. And I think a lot of what you've said today is just stuff that might stick in people's heads. And they might kind of think, hmm, maybe I'll look into it a little bit more. And I think if uh, if they're doing that, we've, we'll have done our job. What do you think, Damien? I
1: think so. I think, um, <laughs> you know, we, 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 we have to solve the problems that are there. And, you know, there are plenty of problems. And when they're solved, there'll be plenty more. I remember somebody saying, you know, something is not rocket science. We, we, we've all heard that phrase. It's not rocket science. And uh, a, a good friend of mine replied, well, rocket science is very well understood. We all know how you know, what a rocket should do, how the planets move, gravity. We know all that. So "Is the engineering of the rocket is the difficult thing. If you can put, you know, three people on top of a controlled explosion, send them into space and bring them back without boarding them up on the way in and bring them down to earth gently so that that they can get up and walk out. That is the engineering. That's the difficult bit. And we can solve those problems and have solved them. So, yeah, I think, you know, we shouldn't be afraid of problems. Get stuck in.
0: What a fantastic note to end on. Damien Owens from Engineers Ireland. Thank you so much for chatting with us on the podcast today.
1: Thank you, Dusty.
0: If you'd like to find out more about what we spoke about on the podcast, you'll find notes and link details in the show notes or the description area on your podcast player right now. And of course, you'll find more information and advanced episodes on our website at engineersireland.ie. Our podcast today is produced by dustpod.io for Engineers Ireland. And if you'd like more podcasts, just click the follow button on your podcast player so you get access to all our past and future shows automatically. Until next time, from myself, to Rhodes, thank you so much for listening. Talk soon.